So, it's 2020. So this morning, the newspaper helped me out. 2020 vision. It says 2020 vision. Can you believe that? That, that's the title of my message, right? A 2020 vision. And uh, Adrian was worried about me being deflated because every pastor in the vicinity is using the same thing. I already told you they were going to do that, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. I've been one of those people that uh, was blessed with 2020 vision. You know, when I was growing up, I was the kid on the, uh, on the bus stop looking at the bus coming around the corner off of Northern Boulevard in Flushing, and I could read which bus it was, the sign on the front from that distance, a block or more than a block, long block away, and people didn't think I really could until it came up, and they said, wow, you really could read that. I had extremely sharp vision. Then old age started to creep in. I still have good distance, but... Um, Things, uh, it's very distressing for a Baptist pastor to end up with something called presbyopia. Sounds like Presbyterianism, doesn't it? That's just a little joke. But really what that means is you run out of arm. You know what I mean? You run out of arm. Somebody gave me one of these this morning. Uh, you know, it's just a little uh, eye chart. You know, God is closer than you think. Be, how do you like that? And, uh, but you, you start to run out of arms. So every time I go up to Binghamton, uh, there's a great dollar store up there that sells reading glasses for a dollar. And so, you know, I, I'm thinking of changing my image a little bit. I don't know, which kind do you like the most? You know, really colorful ones? Pretty foxy, huh? Or the, or the intellectual type? Yeah. I went to the store, I was trying, you know, some stores just let you down. I was looking for glasses with like eyeballs that go like this, so you know, dwing, dwing, just to get the point across that we all need help somewhere along the line with our vision, right? And uh, if you're, you're one of those blessed people that never needs glasses or anything ever, yay for you. But uh, we find that we do need assistance with our vision. And... Uh, I wanted to talk today, because it's the beginning of a new year, a little bit differently than I would normally preach. We're normally in a series in the book of Hebrews, and uh, I blame Pastor Derek for that. He suggested it a way back, and, and actually it's worked. It's been, it's been fun. It's been stretching for me because I'd never preached through the book of Hebrews before. And I said that I'm going to try to finish, and it's, it shouldn't take me more than three or four years, I think to get through the whole thing, but no, we'll do better than that. Today's message, uh, the title I shared last week, you saw it in the bulletin, and I had a few people win the contest. They figured out where it was from. So let's put that title up, Tell Graham to See. So I know at least one person told me they knew exactly which movie this came from. And I want to go on record that it was a movie from the 2000s, not the 80s. I, I have been a little bit lax when I got hired at Harmony. I was told by the MLT, you need to upgrade your movie selections. And I said, I will work on that, but I haven't done a very good job. But I won on this one because I've got a 2002 movie 
one of the M. Night Shyamalan's signs. That's the movie. Remember this? Uh, by the way, I, I, am, uh, I, I can sometimes recommend movies. Then I have that list of movies that Pastor John can't recommend but recommends. You get what I'm saying, because otherwise I'm in trouble. Oh, he recommended that movie. Do you know what they said in that movie? Yeah, I did know. That's because I watched it. But anyway, example. Years ago, I, I kind of got rebuked. Uh, I had a family in my church up north, and their son said his favorite movie was Ghost. And I thought, oh, you know, I was being very righteous and spiritual. And I didn't like that. Then I saw it. I fell in love with it. I was like, holy mackerel. When you can combine spiritual, um, supernatural, a supernatural thriller, a murder mystery, you know, and a love story all in one, in one film, that's pretty talented. Well, the reason I'm saying that is because Signs is one of those films. Everybody thinks it's about that, the title. Now, it's really about this next guy. The, you all know what those crop circles are, right? You'll, you'll get the idea. If you haven't seen the movie, I, I don't want to spoil it for you because it's one of those movies I can almost totally recommend. Almost totally recommend. A couple of bad words in it, but it's a really good film. This is uh, a scene from the movie. That's Mel Gibson on the right, and that's uh, Joaquin Phoenix. and uh, Mel Gibson's character, his two kids there, Bo and Morgan, Something really bad has happened to this man, and this man, I'm not going to give much away. I just want you to know what the story's really talking about. He's a, a, uh, an Episcopal priest. Was. Something has turned the events of his life on edge, and he is mad. He is bitter, and he is angry with guess who? Nobody in this room's ever had that problem, Right? He is angry and bitter. And this is a scene where some of the bitterness is shown because the person who's caused the bitterness is outside this building. Now, I have to do a little bragging here for just a minute. I don't do this very... Well, yeah, I do once in a while. Here's the, here's the deal. I've told you guys lots of stories. I've been here six years, and sometimes I tell you stuff, and I think you don't really believe me. But my daughter was living down in Bucks County at the time, and this was filmed in Newtown, Bucks County. The movie crew came in in one day, tore this guy's pizzeria apart, set it up for the filming, did the filming, and put it all back together in one day. And my daughter and I and my wife sat on Mel Gibson's chair and Joaquin Phoenix's chair just to say I did it because they put a little thing on the back of the chair. They got a little sign, Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix. And the proof that I'm not making this up is that I've got the last crew cap from the filming. The last one was sitting on top of the pizza oven. I said, how much? $10. You've got a deal. I walked out with it. Yay, me. So anyway, just so you know, I tell you the truth, okay? Because I just don't think you believe me all the time. See what? Graham is bitter. And there's a scene in the movie where 
his bride is passing away. I won't tell you more than that, but she has what would be from our chair a prophetic utterance. And she says, tell Bo, tell her daughter something, tell my son Morgan to play, to have fun, it's okay. Tell, tell um, who was the brother? Merrill to swing away and tell Graham to see. And Graham, of course, just thinks it's her brain reacting to death coming, and he ignores it, kind of. The real signs weren't about guidance for alien ships to land in certain places. Yeah, that's part of the story. I mean, it's a very exciting story. It's a lot of fun if you like ETs, okay? But the real comment there, tell Graham to see, that's what he was missing. There were signs. It ends up later that Merrill swinging is going to help save the day. It ends up later he finds out that his son's asthma that almost kills his son, that he's angrier at God about, ends up saving his son. And he doesn't realize it was actually in the sovereignty of God that it was allowed. In other words, God was watching out. That's the theme at the end. God was giving Graham signs, but he was missing them. And instead of seeing the love of God, he was mad at God. And I'm adding a little theology here, obviously. But you go see it. Tell me I'm wrong. So with that in mind, I want you to see this verse, just to use it as a launch. Rather than exegeting a bunch of passages, I want to tell three stories after presenting this opening verse, which is our verse for the day. If you want to look at it in the scripture yourself, uh, it's page 1170. It's the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and it says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of our heart. We sang a song this morning, open the eyes of my heart. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice that I can get all of these glasses and I can read. It helps when you can read, you know. I know what it's like to say, what does that say? And find, Oh, that's what it says. It's wonderful. But it's much better when my spirit sees. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, you may experience in your gut what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I love this little line. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, I don't want to exegete all that, but it should become obvious that we need help. Here's the word, perceiving. We need help perceiving what God has done, what he's invested in us, how much value he puts on us. I love that uh, song. I've never sang that before, that I'm fear can't win. You know, when I'm standing in his love, that I know I'm secure in the beloved. Do you know that this morning? It's a gift he wants to give us. Open the eyes of, that he would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might be enlightened, that we might perceive, that we might have insight and perception. I was telling, um, in fact, I know that uh, in a few weeks or maybe sooner, uh, Brother Corey, one of our elders, is stirring on a message, and, and uh, it's off of this passage, and it's going to fit perfectly. 
But in this last, uh, last few months, uh, some of you know I've been, I've been helping with the uh, school board. And uh, we've got challenges ahead of us. And I had, out of the blue, a brother called me. Out of the blue that we haven't talked to in easily 25 years. That's why you're in the room today, dear. <laughs> Keep me honest. Haven't talked to him. Love these people. He's on a little experiment in his own spiritual journey uh, following a book by, I think, Dallas Willard. It's about learning to perceive and hear the voice of God. And so he's praying into this. And as he's driving one day, the Spirit says, call John Hocko. 25 years later, guess what his job was in two major tasks? Helping turn and enhance and bless two Christian schools was a major part of his career, and this guy connects with me out of the blue. Surely it was a coincidence. You believe that junk? No, no, I'm saying, would you believe that this is God, maybe? I mean, well, you, if you're in the room, you probably are. You probably are believing me, but that was mind-blowing. I said, Tom, I can't believe that you're calling me. And he pumped me up and, you know, poured some vision casting into me and encouraged me. And I was like, yay, I think I'll stay a Christian. <laughs> and, uh, but here's what Tom said to me. You know what, John? God is talking all the time. We're not listening. And I really think that's true. So we need your first fill-in, if you're a fill-in person, is we need inner sight. Inner sight. Inner seeing perception, insight, not just visually seeing. How many times have you ever read a section of the Oh, I know when this happens a lot, devotions. You're reading your devotions. You get to the bottom of the page. What did I just read? Right? Same thing driving, ever driving. And how did I? I just passed three cities, and I don't remember them. I sh maybe I shouldn't be confessing this. Or the elder team will be retiring me sooner than I thought. But uh, you know what I'm saying. There's seeing and then there's seeing. So there's insight, there's perception rather than just hearing my words or seeing. Seeing it for real. The children of Israel up against the wall. All our eyes are on you. Every time I hear that passage, I start to lose it because of that description of these people desperately recognizing their own bankruptcy. There's nothing we can do against this multitude, but here we are. We, our wives, our little ones are standing before you. Rescue us. You know, God loves that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, I got this. Sure you do. Have fun with that. See, see, see. Want three things that we want to see. First one, the first fill-in is... You want to see what God has done. You need to see what God has already done. By the way, last week I was going to preach this message, and you guys preached it for me. Anybody here last week? Anybody here in the room that was here last week that was not here? I'm just seeing if you're listening, okay? Wasn't it an awesome time? I mean, didn't need to preach. Spirit was speaking to us through us through the indwelling spirit, encouraging us. See what God has done. So I don't want to belabor it. But I'm really glad I got to postpone my message because I looked on the bulletin and I went, 
Somehow I messed Jody up and put the wrong verses in the wrong spot. I had them upside down, so I'm really glad we get it right this week. What God has done. 2 Samuel 7:18. it says this. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Now, if you don't know the context, David was chosen and had to run for his, He was chosen to be king, and Saul was out of his mind. The previous king tried to kill him for years. He was running and hiding and living in caves and everything else, and he gathered along a, a strong group of warriors around him, and eventually God ordained and allowed Saul to be taken out. He becomes king, and everywhere he went, God's favor was on him, and he kept increasing his kingdom and got so blessed and so wealthy. He set everything up for Solomon to be the greatest king that ever lived in terms of wealth and administration and wisdom and everything else. That was David. And as David recognized, he used to take care of his father's sheep. And he learned how to use a sling real well back then, taking out a lion and taking out a bear. Kind of a man's man, you know. Nevertheless, he said, I'm nobody. And here I am ruling over the people of God, and you're going to establish a throne. Whether you realize it or not, you can always go back and reread the um, Daily Bible God says he equates Solomon's throne eventually with his own, the throne of God over Israel, a representation of the living God on earth, if you will. And he says, who am I that you have brought me this far? Does anybody else feel that way? Boy, I sure do. I think about myself walking the streets of New York, just a goofball way out in the woods. I won't belabor it. I should have brought my... uh, Manson picture, you know. I look like Charles Manson. I'm not kidding in my old days. And how did God bring me so far? And last week, we praised God together for what he's been doing in our midst. Amen? How come we've come so far? A church, frankly, and I know I I get pushed back on this. Shame on you. We could have been closed by now. I got a couple of stats here. New study. Lifeway Research. Six in ten Protestant churches are plateaued or declining. Growth is not absent from American churches. It's usually trading. You know, we play musical, musical churches. It's what we do. We go from this one to that one to that one. It's not, it's not expanding the kingdom. It's just trading off. But there is some conversion, but lots of rapid growth through conversion, very uncommon. Clear picture of Protestant churches in America today. Most have fewer than 100 people attending services each Sunday. Do you realize, by the grace of God, we're on the top end of that? Isn't that amazing to you? That's amazing to me. When I consider six years ago, you put up with me, holy cow, and we're here? 21% who average fewer than 50, they should just sell the property and become a small group. Really, we're just wasting, wasting time and energy and money. Around one in ten churches, 11%, average 250 or more. So if you get past that barrier, we'll be in the top 10%. Then we can brag. No, that's the worst thing you ever want to do. Worst thing you ever want to do. 61% of pastors say their churches face a decline in worship attendance or growth of 5% in less than the last... In, let me fix that. I put my tooth back in. Okay. 
61% of pastors say their churches faced a decline in worship attendance or grew at less than 5% in the last three years. In other words, we're in trouble. Half of them almost say that their giving decreased or they stayed the same from 17 to 18 decays. And then we think about the next generation, which, by the way, can I just speak life to the next generation in the room? The next generation's anybody from 50 down. I, I'm, I'm being really generous, but let me go down to the... I'm saying down. You guys, others that are out here, some new folks that have become part of our fellowship that we're thrilled, I'm saying you're the future. Because even when you have a bunch of people raised in the church... Well, let me just read this to you. The Protestant church is slowly shrinking from within. The dropout rate for young adults accelerates with age. 69% say they were attending at age 17. That fell to 58% at 18. In one year, 40% at age 19. Once they reach their 20s, one only in three say they're attending church anymore. This is the state of affairs in America. Yeah, I'm, can I... Um, comment? Is that allowed? <laughs> I have a feeling when we don't see real Christianity lived out, there's really no motivation to join a club that's going to get closed. Why? Often, that's what happens. We're, we're good, we come, you know, it's part of it, but Am I, is, do, do my kids, and this I have to ask myself, do my kids see that my reliance, here I am standing, I'm helpless against this multitude. The culture that we're in, is it scary? Yes. Are there weird things happening? Yes. Where am I going to throw my, my faith? Where am I going to, what am I going to trust in? What am I going to do? Are my, are, do my kids know that he is the one that I am clinging to? All right, so that, let's move on. First thing I want to say, what God has done. Here we have seen uh, God bless harmony, and we're much further ahead than I ever thought we would be. I am so grateful, aren't you? I'm grateful. And I believe ingratitude is one of the great sins that gets us in trouble. When we don't appreciate what God has done. It got me in trouble once, just telling you. And I'm not telling you any more about it today, because I don't want to. Inner sight. See what God has done. Number two, see what God, who wants to guess? Might do. Yeah. Or what he means to do. Maybe he's got something in mind. We just haven't heard him yet. Right? Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. Now, before we put the verse on the screen... I want you to go back and remember Moses being called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Anybody remember that story? There's lots of movies about it, even cartoons. All right. But Moses, when God calls him, has every reason why he's not the man to do it. And he had been raised in, uh, in the... In the uh, Capital, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 yeah, the, he was raised in the culture. He was raised in the palace in, uh, in Egypt, right? As far as we know, uh, you know, Cecil B. DeMille got that part right, I think. He, he was in the fam. 
And then he's got to go up against his, you know, stepbrother or whatever he is, you know, and, and to get the children of Israel out from under the bondage that they're in. And he's coming, I don't speak well. Who am I to go? And what, what on earth? If I go, it's bad enough I have to go up against the Egyptians. It's bad enough I have to go face Ramses. It's bad enough. But your people, you know how they can be. I'm glad you all laughed there because it's like we may have a stoning today. But anyway, you know how they can be. I'm going to go and say, Yahweh has told us the great I, you know, we're going to leave Egypt. And they're going to say, what are you smoking? Right? They're going to, who, who told you? What? Are you crazy? And by the way, you were that, that guy that had all the pluses and, you, you know, you lived up there. You thought you think you're all that. You think you're better. He ran into that, didn't he? You think you're better than us. Who do you think you are? And this is what God tells I love this. This is a great statement. The Lord says to him, what's that in your hand? How will I get them to listen? What's that in your hand? And he said, a staff. A stick. Well, it's like a bow staff, really. It's more like a bow staff. I had to get that plug in, you know. What is that in your hand? Boy, if there is ever an illustration of where we need to park ourselves spiritually, this is it. He doesn't need your fantastic... You don't have to be a CPA. You don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to be this. You don't have to be that. What is in your hand? What do you have? Well, it's a stick. I'll use that. Wait till you see what happens. And the snake trick with small potatoes. You get that? You know, he throws down the stake. I mean, it's a great, it makes a great movie, you know what I mean? You throw the snake, the thing, the stick down, you, go, <gasps> you know, and it, take it by the tail. Okay. He takes it by the tail, becomes a staff again. You know, that's all real dramatic, but the Egyptian sorcerers could do some of that too. When you walk up to the Nile and touch it with the stick and it all turns to blood, now you're talking big time. He had only seen a little bit about what was in his hand that God was going to use. Think about it in the New Testament, right? The Old Testament, the widow's oil never runs out. The New Testament, the little boy has just a couple of loaves and fishes. And we feed 5,000 and then 4,000, right? What is in your hand? I'll work with what's in your hand. Well, let's see if it is. I thought about it. What do we have? I have a picture I want to put up. This is just one of many we could put up, right? It's, uh, can you see that? Oh, never mind that it's Jim Whittle and his wife right there, uh, Elisa. They're just two of the people who are helping out. This is food pantry activity. Um, is Brian in the room? Oh, you're here. You're, how, many, how many were you prepared for here? A um, hundred. Seats ready for the food pantry people, plus they trusted God this year for toys for all the families. And that's what's up on the tables there. I'm like, if there's ever a picture of what, you know, what is in your hand? We've got something in our hand. We've got a church. We've got a school. We've got a food pantry that God is obviously supporting I mean, it just keeps coming, keeps coming. 
Well, what's in our hand? What are we going to do with that? I'm asking, what I'm saying is I'm not telling. I'm saying, what might God want to do with that? So some of us, uh, pastors and stuff, we've been taught, does he, we've already been talking about expanding the time. We've already kicked around. Should there be a medical aspect to this? Uh, what about the school? Should we be offering English as a second language? Should we be doing stuff that could be ministering to our community? We've got the facilities. They need a lot of work. Let me just be blunt. It's one of the first things we've got to trust God for is an upgrade. But I'm telling you, what is in our hand? What should we do with it? With what is in our hand? Are you getting my drift? I get, I get, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll curb my ADD and I'll stay on task here. We want to ask God, what might he want to do in 2020? Because we're seeing the Spirit stir and encourage us, but there's more to it than us just being encouraged, isn't there? And the song we closed with said that, our love, that the love of Jesus might flow through us to others around us, right? So let's get to the last point. What we must do, the MD there. See what we must do. You know, it's really a wonderful story. They all pray, God, bail us out. The enemy's coming here, Mount Seir, and uh, the other guys are going to kill us. And we get up in the morning, they're all dead. I love it when it goes that way. You know, wouldn't it be great? Well, I prayed and my, my bank account just filled up. Wow, thank you, Jesus, you know? Isn't that great when it goes that way? Not very often. I think God, can I be, I think God drops that stuff on us once in a while just to bolster our faith, you know, or on some of us. Uh, but most of it, uh, he gives you the strength, the surpassing power toward us who believe he wants us to tap into. So there's another story. When the children of Israel were taking the, the promised land, there were battles to be fought, and there were territories to be taken, right? And we know, uh, uh, you know Joshua and uh, Caleb, those, those men that remained faithful, and there was another guy in the family. There's a little description about him. His name was Jabez. A whole book was written about it. And I've always said I have a love-hate relationship with that book because we as narcissistic Americans think it's all about us getting blessed out of our socks. And that wasn't the reason. In fact, I'm going to unpack it for just a moment. But here's what happened. Jabez sees a territory that's delegated to him and here's what he says. Now Jabez, 1 Chronicles 4.10, called on the name of the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border. Where is that verse in there? It's not a... Um, we're looking for it. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border and that thy hand might be with me and you would keep me from harm and that it may not pain me. Let this be a blessing and not a pain. Let it work. Let my border get enlarged. And here's what the Bible says. God granted him what he requested. Surely there's a catch. Yes. Just like when you read Jesus said, wherever two or three of you gather together and you agree on anything, it'll be done by my heavenly Father. So I'm going to get three people here to agree with me. Listen, let's pray for $5 million and I'll give you a cut. 
Isn't that a good prayer? I like you like that prayer. Well, come on over. Let's pray right now. No, it's if I pray according to his will. Right? Meaning, what is the thing that God wants to do to glory? I think he could give it to you. He could give it to me. Uh, obviously, I've never been praying with the right spirit because I've been asking for a long time. No, I'm kidding. I really haven't. <laughs> God granted him what he requested. Let's look at the secret behind it. The verse right in front of that verse says this, and Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now, it doesn't mean his brothers were dishonorable. In fact, I was fascinated when I saw that. What does that word mean? Those of you who are, uh, have had any little bit of Hebrew background, you might recognize the word kavod. Dr. Ashley, you have a special place in my heart because of your introduction of me one day. And that was, the word is for weight. When we talk in the Old Testament about a person who was weighty, this is not about diet. Weighty means some gravitas, some, some clout spiritually. Jabez had a heart. It was in his DNA to see that God wanted to do something bigger than about his life. There's something big he wants to do here. So I'm asking you, God, so that you get glory as the true God who's delivered your children out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land, and defeats our enemies before us, that you and your name get glorified. I'm asking you to give me this territory, enlarge my border, bless me, and make it obvious. And he did. He was more honorable than his brothers. He took it seriously. I thought about what we must do. I was going to be a little bit humorous and say, I think the vision that I see for 2020 is that uh, in 2021, we close the church, sell the building, and move along. You don't like that idea? <gasps> Why? Well, we're going to have to acquire some weight. You follow? Do I want God's honor and glory? Does this place matter because it matters to God? If it does, then we have a future. If it doesn't, you might as well do what I just said. I know I sound very nasty, don't I? I'm getting old. The days of my ministries are, I see, the, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I hope it ain't a train. And so I'm thinking about what's going to benefit this assembly the most into the future, because I'm not going to be here forever. Some of us in the room aren't going to be here forever, or very long even. Right? What I'm saying is there has to be a stirring, an acquiring of weightiness about who God is and what he deserves. Because I'm going to be candid from my chair, six years on the job. A lot of what happens here isn't really that important to us. Somewhere along the line, I've got to own it and say, I want to see this area enlarged for God's name's sake and for his glory. I want to see us win. 
So there are some things we'll be pushing down the field this next year, a couple of values in particular. We mentioned them one time before. And what I'm getting at is learning to be disciples. Our church has not been well discipled. I'm just being candid. So discipleship is something that I think is on the horizon. Our team has been working on putting together a discipleship class, and we're going to have to work out the details on all of that. But to make sure everybody gets some of the basics that some of us in the room do not get. Learning to be a disciple rather than just a church attender. How you spend your time, your money. We spend more and are more preoccupied with ourselves than we are with God. There's something broken there. How can we sing a song like Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be? I think about that. I want to see harmony prosper. Well, I have to even put that in his hands. It's his will. I can't make anything happen. And we can't by ourselves, but with God and his surpassing greatness of power toward us who believe, who knows what's possible. But it's going to mean stepping up and gaining some weight. I mean that in the best sense. (laughs) When I hear stuff like, oh, getting people, you know, into the church or born again, or that's the preacher's job. It's not what the New Testament teaches. I'm sorry you're ignorant of the New Testament. Can I help you become a disciple? Got really quiet in here, didn't it? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We have these opinions that are not aligned with Scripture at all. That's not discipleship. You're a churchgoer, but we want to be disciples so that God can breathe through us, if you will. There are two big things we want to put on the agenda and this coming year, outreach is one of them. From the time I came and you had a ministry mapping team tell you that we're ingrown, we're inward focused, we said we have to move it outward, it takes five times more effort than any other job to get us to look outward. It just does. It's hard, right? It's hard for all of us. Me too. So looking outward, and we want to resurrect the pray for one and make it really happen. And so people have come to me and said, you know, I've got some ideas about don't do anything without asking me. (laughs) Because we start something and then it goes, we don't want to do that. Want to make sure we have things lined up. But yes, strategically, looking outward and praying for one in this coming year. I think God might want to bless that. You know, think about it. If everybody in this room was praying for one and asking God, pleading with God, just open the door. Open the door to witness. Open the door to invite them. Open the door for someone else to get in their life somehow. If there were 100 people doing that, don't you think God's power is sufficient to get like 10 people saved maybe in the next year? I think it could be more than that. Oh, you shouldn't set any goals like that. That's unspiritual. You're right. I can't make it happen, but I will say this. You've, you've probably heard this great expression, if you aim at nothing, you'll surely hit it. <laughs> and I think churches have operated that way for years, hitting nothing. So we want to ask God to show us. And so my main concern is that we learn to pray and we acquire some weight and we press in and see what he wants to do in the year ahead because the future is not just us. The future has to be the outside folks and the newer generation, because they're the ones that are going to be carrying the flag after we're gone. 
And we need to see more of them. And thank God for those who are in the room. I praise God for you being here, believe me. Okay? So that's our 2020 vision. That's for starters. Sound all right? Nobody's, anybody's mad? Come and pray with me and I'll, I'll be nice. Let's pray. Let's stand together and pray, okay? I think we can agree today, God, that we can pray like King David. Who are we that we should have come this far? Who are we that we should have heard the witness of the Spirit at work last week in the hearts and minds of your people? And the thing we loved about last week, it wasn't just saying, yay, I, you know, I was able to pay my bills. It was like the Holy Spirit stirring and dealing with us. And Lord, that is a good thing. And we're grateful. But we know that that's the beginning, not the end. So we're praying, God, that we might have a vision into the future, that that in this year we would see ourselves be intentional about gaining some spiritual gravitas, some weight, laying hold of you and seeing answers and seeing others because, yes, we're in a hard culture, but there are people who want to know God. Help us to introduce them to you. Help us. We commit our way to you. I pray for your angelic protection over this congregation as they're out in the world this week, that you would quicken them, Holy Spirit, to see their opportunities as they come their way. And, Lord, bring us back together, encouraged by your Spirit and and looking upward and seeing. Tell us to see. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.